Well, we're working our way through the book of Isaiah. Uh, you were here last time, can't do all 66 chapters, but uh, we'd be here for years. But anyway, picking out some chapters. We're up to chapter 6 this morning, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening but do not comprehend. Keep looking but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and, turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is utterly desolate, until the land, Lord sorry, sends everyone far away. And vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Do you like getting things for free? I love getting things for free. If anything's going for free, I'm putting my hand out right there. Remember the days of the Ecker? The old days of the Yekka and you'd walk around the government departments and I'd be picking up pencils and rulers and books and yo-yos and you go back home, there's your whole bag full of all this stuff. What happened to those days? Yeah, the only thing you get from a government department is a tax. That's it. Oh, I wore a shirt a few weeks ago. I had 96.5 on it. I haven't worked for 96.5 for 20 years still going and as I hopped in the car my friend said to me he said Neil you're still wearing that shirt I said well if they give me free clothing I'm going to wear it aren't I I'm going to do it right there I love free stuff I'm always there hand is out imagine telling someone that you are able to tell them of a person that they can go to who'll give them something at no cost no cost and if they receive it They'll receive peace of mind. The burden and guilt of shame from months, maybe years, will be taken from them. They'll experience a joy that they've never experienced before. 
and it will remain with them all of their days and they'll find a new found freedom from not just some, but every failure of the past. Well, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? That's our God. That is our God who promises us all of this. The God who says to us, you are forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember last time I gave the story of Major Thomas and Peter being there and Major saying to him, you are free, you are free to go. Forgiveness. Our sins are not held against us in any way by our Lord. That God offers forgiveness to you and me. Only a Christian knows the cleansing power of the Lord. When a person receives Christ as their saviour, that life of forgiveness now becomes true to them. The reruns of the past failures played over and over in their minds. A movie that was titled Shame and Guilt has now been erased. And the new movie that plays over and over in our minds is the, has the title Grace and Forgiveness. Beautiful. It's the truth. In God, all things do become new. The old way of life is a thing of the past. Priorities change. Attitudes change. Devotion changes. Commitment changes. The mind is healed. The body begins to be healed and our spirits soar. Lord, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven of everything. And God offers that to you and me afresh every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Guilt and grief are done away with, replaced with love and life. When I was teaching at Mallion a few years ago, occasionally a student would come into my office and say, Neil, I've been asked to preach at church. This would be a student pastor, right? Sometimes the very first time they have to preach and they say, I've got the whole Bible in front of me. Neil, what should I preach on? You know what I would say? Always gave the same answer. Forgiveness, forgiveness. We should never, ever tire of hearing that we are forgiven in Christ. Reading the book of Isaiah again, many chapters of it this week it came to my mind and if you've been reading it at home as well there's a lot of judgment there's a lot of judgment in Isaiah but there are also these glimpses these glimmers of forgiveness that shine through that God is saying come to me come to me and receive my forgiveness last time in chapter one we saw the forgiveness being offered to the nation that God had said, even though your sins be as scarlet, I shall wash them, cleanse them as white as snow. Now we come to this chapter in chapter 6, and it's not so much about national forgiveness, it's about personal forgiveness. Forgiveness to Isaiah. But just before we get, I want to get in, uh, into chapter 6, I just want to briefly touch on chapter 5 so that we can see where the nation is at this time. I imagine that many of you have a green thumb and, you know, you can grow anything quite easily. But for some, no, for some of us, it is really difficult. 
My Nepali friend said to me last year, he said, Neil, would you be able to go to the shop? He didn't know because he's an international student. Would you be able to go to the shop for me and buy me some strawberry plants? He said, I'd like to grow some strawberries. So I said, yeah, sure. So I go down to Bunnings. I looked for an old pot, but I didn't have one in my garage. So I bought a brand new pot, bought some soil, bought four punnets of strawberry plants, came back. I said, here we are. I said, gee, I'm looking forward to these strawberries in a few weeks' time. I said, save them up for me, save them up for me. And every time I visited him, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe some of you can tell me. The leaves had gone all white. There was all like a chalky thing over it, right? No fruit, no flower to be seen at all. And I said to Santos, I said, brother, this has cost me $24. I could have bought four punnets of strawberries for this. They all just died. They all just fell over the end. And then I told my auntie the story and she said, oh, I've got strawberries at home. I'll bring you one. So she'd brought me a plant that actually had a flower on it, right? So we're 50% there. We're nearly there. We planted that or he planted it. That died as well. Oh, just go down to Coles and buy some strawberries, right? It's the easiest thing, isn't it? I thought strawberries are really easy to grow. Well, it leads us into chapter 5 where Isaiah talks about and gives us a parable concerning a vineyard, a vineyard. And the nation of Israel is likened to a vineyard. Isaiah has previously touched on this in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where he talks about the leaders of the nation being judged for taking advantage of the poor, crushing them to make themselves rich. In the beginning of chapter 5, Isaiah sings a song. Now I was thinking, isn't this typical of Isaiah? Remembering, right, that apart from just four chapters, 36 through to 39, and just a few other passages, the rest of the whole book is written in poetry. And here Isaiah sings. He sings a song. And he says this song is for his beloved. His beloved. Isaiah is the singer. And we find that the beloved is God. Isaiah has such an intimate relationship with the Lord that God is able to reveal things to Isaiah that he hasn't revealed to any other prophet. Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would die for the sins of the nation. No other prophet was given that knowledge. And I imagine Isaiah's heart, just full and overflowing with love for the Lord, begins to sing this song. He sings of God as a beloved friend who plants a vineyard so that it might produce a great crop of grapes. Well, we read, beginning of chapter 5 there, that this friend went out to plant this vineyard on a hill, but not just any hill, a very high hill, in fact, a mountain peak, so that the sun would shine on it from all directions. The word hill here is also described for us as a sun of oil, a sun of fatness, which means the soil was well prepared for what was to be planted. And that the produce coming from it would be full and plentiful. Oh, looking forward to those strawberries. The owner of the vineyard took special care of his possession. He did all the digging of the soil. He removed all the stones and all the rocks. 
And when it was time to come and plant, the soil had been prepared the best it could. Well then, the next thing, what does he do? He goes in search of the choicest vines. I want only the best grapes. A vineyard with the best grapes would be a temptation to robbers who would come in and steal. So I've got to set up a watchtower so that its grapes would not be stolen. Everything is in order. As I waited weeks and weeks for those strawberries, nothing came about. All is hard work. He was certain that this vineyard would produce the best grapes of all. In fact, he'd established a wine press in readiness. But nothing. When it came time for the finest, fullest grapes to be produced, the vineyard only produced grapes that were sour, that were stinking. Of course, Isaiah parallels this parable parable that the owner of the vineyard is God and that the vineyard itself is Israel what more could he have done he did everything for them the answer is he couldn't have done anything more so disgusted is the Lord so disappointed in the Lord that nothing has been produced the green thorny hedge that was set up around it that would protect the vineyard would now be torn down. Wild animals would be allowed to come in and roam free, trampling all over the once rich and fertile soil. Instead of the land being fruitful and fertile, thorns and thistles would shoot up. And in fact, God would go so far as holding back the rains from falling on this land. It would become a wilderness. The Lord looked for justice, but he saw oppression. He listened for righteousness, but all he heard was a cry. The Lord, God, had done everything conceivable for this vineyard to have the best harvest, but it only produced sour and stinking grapes. Then Isaiah says that the grapes that did produce actually were the produce of idolatry. Then the rest of the chapter, chapter 5, all these woes, woes against greedy landlords, woes against drunkenness, woes against willful disobedience, woes against having no discernment between right and wrong, woes on false pride, pride in false wisdom, woes on judges who are getting drunk and going to the, into the law courts. So that's the background that leads us into chapter 6. And we read here that it was in the very year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah had this amazing vision. The year that King Uzziah died was 740 BC, just 13 years earlier in 753 BC, the foundations were laid for the Roman Empire. And this is interesting because Isaiah will address the Roman Empire throughout his book. Well, if you know anything of Uzziah, he was a king who started so well. But then he fell into sin. 
to such an extent that the Lord brought leprosy upon him and that in his final years, when anyone needed to go and see the king, the king, he would yell out, unclean, unclean. His reign lasted 50 years. Who would think that a monarch would reign for 50 years? I wrote it last week. <laughs> In the year of his death, Isaiah saw the Lord, the sovereign of the universe. And even though the king had just died, Isaiah knew that the king of the universe was truly alive. Of course, some people can question how, how is Isaiah able to see the Lord when previous Previous great figures of the Old Testament had said if they saw the Lord that they would die. Moses had said, if the children of Israel gaze upon the Lord, they will surely die. Exodus chapter 33 verse 20, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And perhaps the best answer is that Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord but did not see his face, did not see the very essence of who God is. What he did see was the Lord lifted a high and lifted up. So magnificent was this vision that the whole robe of the Lord filled the entire temple. And then angels, celestial beings, cherubim, seraphim, surrounding God's throne, Cherubim having two to four wings, seraphim having six wings. Two wings to hide their eyes from the glory of God. Two wings to hide their feet, the sign of humility, and two wings to fly. Each one crying out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. Crying out not to outdo each other, but to emphasise the holiness of God. The result of their crying is told for us in verse 4. The doorposts, the threshold of the temple shook. Smoke signifying God's presence now filled the whole temple. And having seen this, look at the change, the contrast with Isaiah's response. His only response is, woe is me, verses 5 to 7, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah thought, this is the end, I'm done. I've seen the glory of the Lord, and the only thing that will occur to me now is death. Others before him had feared the same thing, Jacob. Genesis chapter 32 said, if I see the Lord, I shall surely die. Gideon, Judges chapter 6. Manoah, Judges chapter 13, all said, if I see God, I will die. And it's interesting that Isaiah says of himself, I'm a man of unclean lips. Now we saw last time that one of the judgments against Israel was that they were blasphemous to the Lord. Maybe, maybe Isaiah now is numbered among them and says, Lord, I too have blasphemed you. 
Isaiah recognised not only his own sinfulness, but the sinfulness of the people that he dwelled amongst. But here is the word of forgiveness, verse 6. Here is God. Here is God. A seraph took a live coal from the altar in heaven and flew to Isaiah with a piece of coal in a pair of tongs and brought it to the unclean lips of Isaiah. Now his iniquity was taken away. His blaspheme, his blasphemy was forgiven. His sin was covered. Having been cleansed of his sin, Isaiah is then commissioned by the Lord. He receives his call to ministry. God asks, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The Lord speaks of himself there in I. And in using the word us, he also speaks of the plurality in the Godhead. And Isaiah says, send me. Send me. Not here I am, send somebody else. Send me. Send me. He stepped forward as a volunteer accepting that whatever the Lord asked of him, here I am, Lord, I'm available for you. This call to ministry was irrevocable. But the Lord says to him, Isaiah, your ministry will not be successful. Isaiah, I'm calling you to faithfulness. I'm calling you to be faithful for the task that I give you. And then God goes on about the hard-heartedness of the people. Verses 9 and 10. Isaiah, you're called to fatten the hearts of the people. But as a result, they will not receive the divine grace that I offer them. You are to go and make their ears heavy. As a result, they'll refuse to listen to you. You're to go to shut their eyes. And as a result, they won't be able to see. Of course, the Lord is not talking about physical abilities here. He's talking about spiritual, spiritual ones. The minds of the people will become so dumb to spiritual matters, their ears so deaf to spiritual matters, their eyes so blind to spiritual matters. They will continue to harden their hearts and refuse to repent. Now, I just wonder, if you and I, if, we, if we'd been given a similar call, the very next question we would want to ask of the Lord is this. How long, Lord? How long will I need to do this? And that's the question that Isaiah asks. And God says, until the land is depopulated, even if just a tenth removes it, uh, remains, it too will undergo judgment until there is just a stump. And of course, from that stump, a holy seed will take root and we'll find out next time that that holy seed is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So what's God's call on your life and my life? 
It's not to seek success. It's to be faithful. And I was thinking this week how faithfulness needs to be at the core of every relationship that we have with a spouse, with children, with siblings, with boss, with friends. If faithfulness is not there in a friendship, in a relationship, it quickly dissipates, doesn't it? But God says to you and me, be faithful. Be faithful to that other person. Make your words to be true and your actions consistent with your godly character. Don't trust in circumstances to dictate what you are to do, but trust in God's faithfulness. He sees and he knows every little small thing that you do to encourage another, to bless another, to lift another up, to make another person's life better and richer and easier. He sees it all. Be faithful. We pray together. Lord, it's a great word. Being forgiven, Lord, but not, but not just remaining there, Lord, receiving a call to a life of faithfulness. And you've placed that call over each one of our lives, Lord. Every one of us this morning, Lord, you call to a life of faithfulness. Be true to your spouse. Be true to your children. Be true to your siblings. Be true to that boss. Be true to that neighbour. Be true to that friend. Be faithful. Oh Lord, may this coming week, may we have opportunities to show the fruit of the Spirit within us, a life of faithfulness, we ask. For this is what you've called us to. Jesus, we ask and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand together to respond to what God has been saying to us this morning. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Yeah.